Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Bill Federer will continue sharing what you and I need to know about the Quran. Tomorrow's the day. Saturday, Southwest Radio Ministries will be in Des Moines, Iowa. This will be for a special one-day prophecy conference. You're invited to come hear Michael Hoggard reveal Vatican secrets. Micah Van Hus will examine the earth as it was. Larry Stamm and Josh Davis will look at the Jewish roots of Christianity and expose the fake Jesus. And for the very first time, Clayton Van Hus will present the Bible prophecy concerning the star and a scepter. Make plans to join us tomorrow for a full day of insight, information, and encouragement. The Des Moines, Iowa Prophecy Conference, tomorrow, Saturday. Doors open at 8 a.m. For the complete list of speakers, topics, and to register, visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, or give us a call, 1-800-652-1144, and we'll share all the details. Now, let's join Greg Patton as he continues his conversation with historian Bill Federer. They're continuing to reveal the history of Islam as it relates to America and revealing what every American needs to know about the Quran. Watchman on the Wall, Southwest Radio Church. Hello everyone, I'm Greg Patton. Honored again today to have Bill Fetter, author of what every American needs to know about the Quran. And for the most part, we know very little. Bill has done so much research, so many years, and put it all together in his new book, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran, A History of Islam and the United States. So we're going to take off right away and talk about a comparison, maybe, between our Christianity and Islam, Jesus Christ, and Muhammad. The biggest religion in the world is Christianity. About 32% of the world's population identifies as Christian. Guess what the second biggest religion in the world is? Islam, about 23%, and followed by Hindus, 15%, Buddhists, 7%, and then down to Jews, 0.2%. So we got the largest and the second largest religions on planet Earth are Christianity and Islam. And uh, people say, well, let's compare them. What I like to do is compare Jesus and Muhammad. Because if you get into Muhammad had armies, well, the Pope had armies. I mean, you know, we get into that. But if we go down to Jesus and Muhammad, Jesus never killed anyone. Muhammad killed an estimated 3,000 people. He fought in 66 battles and rages. rages. Jesus never led armies. Muhammad led armies. Jesus never owned slaves. Muhammad owned slaves. He even owned black slaves because he was a white Arab. People forget that Muhammad was a white Arab. There are hadiths that said people came to visit him, and they said he is the white man reclining on the couch. Another hadith said the guy was riding on his donkey, and it rubbed up against Muhammad's, and he said, I saw the whiteness of the prophet's thigh. Another hadith, he was lifting his arms to say a certain prayer, and he said, I saw the whiteness of the prophet's armpits. And, and Muhammad owned black slaves, like Bilal, and he had slave markets, and they had would capture people in battle and sell them. And so you had Zanzibar, Timbuktu, or the canoe meets the caravan, Niger River, Maritania, Khartoum, these were all big Muslim slave trading cities. Jesus never married. Muhammad had 11 to 22 wives. He had slave wives and concubines, and some he had, and, and they weren't considered a wife until they took the veil, 
His uh, youngest was Aisha. She was engaged at six years old, consummated at nine. Some say it could have been 11 or some say 14. But Aisha was a big deal in Islam. For example, um, they were going on a raid through the desert and they stopped. And she had to relieve herself and went over a sand dune. And when she came back, the caravan was gone. And a straggler on a donkey picks her up and takes her to Muhammad. And the other Muslim men said, well, you got to kill the guy because he, he, he raped her. And the little girl said, he didn't rape me. And so Muhammad made a rule. There has to be two or more witnesses of a rape. Otherwise, it never happened. And so that became law in Islam. And now it also, if an infidel cannot testify in court against a Muslim. And so if it's an infidel, they can't testify. And, and, and also if it's a woman. So it, Muhammad said that a woman's mind is deficient. So it takes two women to testify in court against one man. And then if you can actually prove that the woman was raped, the woman gets whipped a hundred times for allowing herself to be used as a tool of Satan to tempt the man. And so that's why the women wear the burqas to look unattractive on purpose, because if they get raped, it's their fault. And so it's sort of different than Western. So in, in Western law, you punish the rapist. In Islamic law, you punish the woman who is, has been raped. So it's a little bit different. Jesus never tortured anyone. Muhammad was conquering a city, Kaibar, and the chief wouldn't tell where the treasure was hidden in the desert. So Muhammad had the chief stretched out on the ground, and they kindled a fire on his chest. He still wouldn't tell, so Muhammad had him beheaded. Jesus did not lie. He said, Satan is the father of liars. Muhammad permitted lying. It's called taqiyah, that if you think your enemy is threatening you, it's okay for you to lie to your enemy. And there was one of the hadiths where a chieftain was planning on attacking Muhammad. Muhammad went to his warriors and said, who will rid me of this chieftain? One warrior said, I will, if you permit me to lie. Muhammad said, go. So he goes to the chieftain and said, I've left Muhammad. I want to help you. The guy says, oh, wonderful. And I'll take you into my camp. And matter of fact, um, I'll let you sleep in my tent tonight. You'll be safe. And in the middle of the night, he tipped those over and beheads the chieftain, grabs the head, runs and gives it to Muhammad. And Muhammad says, Allah's face is shown upon you. And he says, oh, no, Allah's face is shown upon you. And Muhammad gives him his staff and says, you can lean on this in the day of judgment, because on that day, many people won't have anything to lean upon. But Muhammad gave his approval to lying if you felt threatened. And then Jesus never forced anyone to follow him. One time he said something difficult. Many disciples walked with him no more. He didn't run after him and says, wait, you misunderstood me. No, Muhammad said, whoever changes his Islamic religion, kill him. So you're free to join, you just can't leave. Jesus um, said, go to a town, present the gospel. If they don't receive you, leave. Muhammad's idea was you go to a town, present your message. If they don't receive you, wage war on the town. Jesus forgave insults. He's dying on the cross, they're mocking him. He says, Father, forgive him. Muhammad avenged insults. There was a guy who made up poems, making fun of Muhammad, had his two slave girls reciting the poems. And when Muhammad finally conquers Mecca, he pulls out a list of people he once killed. And this guy and his two slave girls were to be killed because they insulted him. Jesus did not permit his disciples to rape anyone. Muhammad did. And there's all these hadiths that talk about it, that if you're raping her, you can't stop because if Allah wills for somebody to come into the world, they must come into the world. And Anyway, I won't get into all that. None of the apostles were governors or generals. Every one of the caliphs was a governor and a general. Jesus taught God was our father. 
In Islam, it's blasphemy to call Allah your father. Jesus said that we're children of God. In Islam, it's blasphemy to call yourself a child of Allah, because Allah took no wife and has no son. Jesus taught we're made in the image of God. In Islam, Allah has no image. Jesus taught to have a personal relationship with God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ is you have said. In Islam, it's blasphemy to even want to have a personal relationship with Allah. He is unknowable. You'll never meet him. Even in the next life, you'll never meet him. He's forever unknowable. And the first three centuries of Christianity, there were 10 major persecutions by the Roman emperors. Christians were thrown to the lions. They never led an armed resistance against the Roman emperor. The first three centuries of Islam, they conquered from Arabia to Paris. They conquered all of North Africa. They conquered Syria. They conquered part Persia. They conquered into Armenia, right? And so one of the things that I think is interesting, talking to a gentleman who had a ministry to Muslims, and he says that they'll, you know, debate you on theological issues. But he says that when you tell them about Isaiah 61, that Jesus quoted, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There is no concept in all of Islam that Allah wants to heal your broken heart. Allah could care less about your broken heart. Allah demands obedience. And if you're disobeying, right, you're right. If you, if you insult him, you, you get uh, killed or chopped, head, head chopped off and so forth. But there's no content. And so I've prayed with Muslims. And when you pray with them and let them know that God loves them and God wants to heal their heart and God wants to be their friend, a lot of times the, the Holy Spirit will come on them right then and there and they'll start crying because they've been brought up thinking that Allah is, is somebody you'll never know and you just have to serve him and it's fate. You don't even, you'll, there's no uh, assurance that you're going to go to paradise. The only assurance is if you die killing an infidel. Other than that, there's no assurance, which is sort of ironic because if you die killing an innocent person, you're not alive afterwards to ask for forgiveness. And so if there was a sin that could possibly be one that, you, that would send you to hell, I mean, God will forgive every sin. Yeah, but what if you die while intentionally committing a sin? You're not alive afterwards to ask God to forgive you. And so what they think is going to guarantee them heaven may, in fact, be guaranteeing them the other way. But these comparisons are interesting, and we, we love God loves everybody of every faith, and he wants them. God's a just God. He can't help it, which means he has to judge every sin. He made the universe. He's a God of law and order. Abraham tells the Lord, shall not the judge of all the world do justly? God is just. He has to judge every sin, so he can never be loved back, because if he gives people free will and they sin, he's got to judge them. And so the lamb was God's way to love you without having to judge you. He came up with the plan before he created the first electron, right? The plan was his own son would become the lamb and take the judgment of a just God upon himself. And so that's why we approach this just God through the lamb that he provided. And we're not judged because the lamb took our judgment. That's why we believe in Jesus. And God wants everyone to come to Christ. He wants everyone to, Jesus says, I'm the way, the, the truth and life. No one come to the Father but by me.
there's uh, some other interesting stories if I have time to get into those. You do. Um, one of them is we wouldn't have a Santa Claus if it wasn't for Islam. You what? Mean, what? St. <laughs> Nicholas was the most popular Greek saint. He lived during Roman times, gave to the poor during that pietist movement, right? He gives away all his money to the poor, but he wanted to do it anonymously because he wanted God to get the credit, not him. So Nicholas in the third century would sneak into the little town of Patara, Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey, but he would throw money in the window of poor people. Somebody came out and caught him one time. and He made him promise not to tell. And so that was the origin of the tradition of secret gift giving on the anniversary of Nicholas's death, which was December 6th. It was just a Greek thing until the Muslims invaded Turkey. They would desecrate the graves. And so in the year 1087, um, they moved the grave of St. Nicholas from Mara, uh, Turkey, Myra, Turkey, over to Bari, Italy, B-A-R-I, Bari, Italy. And they built a church. Pope Urban II dedicated the church. His remainder there to this day. This introduced this Greek saint to Western Europe and all the gift giving spread. And matter of fact, the Pope, Urban II, that dedicated the church is the one who calls for the first crusade. Jan Sobieski, by the way, goes into the abandoned Muslim tents, finds these bags of beans, coffee beans, and realizes this was this Muslim drink. And um, they weren't sure if they should drink it because then the, the Turkish drink. So the coffee comes from Ethiopia, and a little boy with a goat ate these little beans, and the goat started jumping around. And Anyway, so the uh, Christians in Ethiopia, uh, the Muslims called them kafirs, which means infidel. So this was called the kafir bean, or the coffee bean, or the infidel bean. And But they weren't sure if they should drink it, and so they took a cup of it to Pope Clement. He tasted it, said this is too good to leave for the Muslims, let's baptize it. And then coffee spread across Europe. And they opened 3,000 coffee houses like in London. I mean, it was like coffee houses everywhere. So have you had your cup of infidel today? But it's okay to drink. Pope Clement said so. There you go. Uh, lots of fascinating history. One is the, the croissant. So in Vienna, it was surrounded by the Turks, and they would tunnel under the walls and set explosives, and the wall would blow up, and they could charge in. And so the baker was up early, and he heard the noise under the ground. Tells the soldiers they put out buckets of water. They can see where the ripples are and where they're digging. And then they dig a hole and intercept it, and they, they defuse the gunpowder. And, and they want to thank the baker. And he said, I don't need any thanks. Just give me the sole permission to cook a pastry in the shape of the Muslim crescent to celebrate our victory. And it was called a croissant or the crescent roll. So the next time you have coffee and croissants, you can celebrate the victory of the Battle of Vienna, September 11, 1683. This was the beginning of the end of the Ottoman Empire, and it kept shrinking and shrinking until after World War I, the Ottoman Empire was totally disbanded. That's when you had a wave of moderation. And you had Ataturk in Turkey that wanted to be a secular leader, and you had Gamal and Gamal Nasser in Egypt. He wanted to be a secular leader. You had the Shah of Iran. I mean, they had discos. I mean, they, you know, college girls going to school. I mean. You had Syria with beauty pageants. And so 60s and 70s, you had this moderate period. But then oil's discovered in Saudi Arabia, where they have the Wahhabis, this violent sect. And they use their money to finance the spread of Wahhabism, which is this violent version. And they would assassinate these moderate leaders and then turn the Arab Islamic world back into the fundamentalist mode because the Standard Oil Company discovered oil in Saudi Arabia. Those globalists, but fascinating history. 
again, the book, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran, A History of Islam and the United States. It's a real eye-opener. It is indeed, and available at Southwest Radio Church at swrc.com, 1-800-652-1144. Once again, swrc.com, 1-800-652-1144, Bill Fenter, and what every American needs to know about the Quran. A couple of questions, uh, Bill, as we close out today. I was just up in Michigan. There's an entire city there taken over by the Muslims. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, uh, Dearborn and Hamtramck. The story is that Henry Ford was over in de- different parts of the world, and he met some somebody from one of those Middle Eastern countries, and he wanted to break the unions. So the unions were organizing, and and so he thought these Eastern Middle Eastern peoples would not join the unions, and so he brought them over, and word spread, and they flooded into Dearborn, Michigan, but uh, and it definitely changed the dynamics up there. They play loudspeakers throughout the whole city. I mean, it's just so strange. You feel like you're someplace else when you're in Dearborn, Michigan. It's just hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. So, so they first came in as immigrants, and then they grew in numbers, and then they got involved politically, and then with more random violence, the uh, Polish people didn't feel comfortable and they began to move out and when enough of them moved out then they had a majority politically and they voted in their sharia law so they have their calls to prayer five times a day beginning at like four or five in the morning for those that are not familiar with it it sounds like you know fingernails on a chalkboard it's it's um sound that definitely takes peace away it's not like pretty church bells or anything but that's intentional and they, they want to make it so that the, the non-Muslims feel uncomfortable and move out, and then they take over. But it's a three-step process. Immigrate, increase, eliminate. You immigrate as a moderate, then they increase in numbers and get involved politically, and then they have random outbreaks of violence, and they take over politically and, and uh, militarily. So there's 1,400 years of this sort of like an invasive species ideologically. And it wasn't just Christian countries over in India. There are all their different pagan gods in India. And when they first came in, the Indians would help them build their first mosques. Thinking, oh, yeah, lots of religions. We got lots of, you know, yours is a new one. Fine, bring it. The water's warm. Jump in. Uh, the, the Indian mind couldn't conceive of an exclusive religion. It's just our way. They go, no, we, we've had hundreds of religions for centuries. We'll, we'll get along. And like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is exclusive. It's only our way. So like today, we're, we've so embraced tolerance. We just, oh, the more you tolerate, the better. You better. What, what if you could possibly tolerate somebody that wants to kill you? It's like, no, 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 that'll never happen. It's like, okay, you know, look what's happening in Europe. You know, the, uh, you see these churches, big, beautiful churches, even Notre Dame and different ones. And you get into the... Uh, in England, they shut down 500 churches in England. Of course, they're doing all the LGBTQ stuff, and so there's not much uh, of a gospel-type message. And so these churches are empty. We'll get the, the Pakistanis and these uh, other Muslims come in, and they're buying up the churches, and they have hundreds and hundreds of, of mosques and a Pakistani mayor of London. And so you, uh, you see there's a demographic change. The uh, average Muslim social stigma for the woman to have less than five children. The fundamental ones, 
they can have five wives and they have their four or five wives and they can have their wives go down to the welfare office and say the husband's not around they get welfare and the guy just visits his different wives in their different apartments and homes and has lots of kids and he's living for free because all the welfare is paying for it all when uh, there was a islamist being interviewed in in england and the interviewer said well don't you feel bad that you're living off the english people and he says no allah permits us to live off the infidel while we are subduing them sort of a parasitic type of attitude so again it's not been in the news a lot in the in america but you go to africa and you nigeria and sudan you hear stories i was i had an uber driver from nigeria and he said that the major highway they stop a bus and get on with their cell phone and they'd have their machete and they'd ask which tribe somebody was from and some tribes are christian and some are more muslim and if they said the name of a christian tribe they would hack them to death right there on the bus while they had their camera running and he goes this is this is happening there's we're on the verge of a civil war in nigeria but it doesn't make the news in america the moderate muslims they think the world will submit to allah later in the distant future and they're not actively trying to make this type of stuff happen they just want to live their lives and that's fine we uh, can spend time with them and many of them when they realize that christians are nice and loving then they get exposed to it and they and they can end up believing but the fundamental ones they think the world's supposed to submit to allah now they are just as happy to kill a moderate muslim as they are to kill an infidel christian so the islamists are the ones that are doing the violent actions unfortunately they get supported by liberal politicians in america i could get into it all but i have it in my book all the way back to the 1980s the united states government cia armed and trained the taliban during the soviet afghan war rambo 3 uh, this big movie was on the cia having a covert operation to arm and train the taliban then charlie wilson's war the cia armed and trained the taliban in the war against russia the afghan soviet war and so we've been training them and so the thought that they could surprise us and take our base in afghanistan it, nobody believes that it was an intentional obama biden plan to switch afghanistan back into the uh, fundamentalist orbit a lot of the politicians and military people went right along with it i do think that this book what every american needs to know about the quran is background information that helps bring the present into focus and i encourage all the listeners to get it i would do the same my brother it's so good two more questions if i might we had a member of our church say recently that a muslim family moved right next door and they're not sure how to approach them about jesus have some thoughts there yeah well i would encourage you to love them with the love of christ and to trust the lord to give you opportunities to witness they don't have a concept of a personal relationship with god and so i would encourage you to let your light shine and let them see that you have a living relationship with god they say that all you have to do is really create one question in their mind you don't have to attack every single aspect of uh, their faith all you have to do is create one question and if they can bring a question it'll it'll reverberate inside of their heart cause them to begin to seek one one of them one of the is uh, there's a verse in the Quran that says Mary 
did not have an earthly father. They say, well, what Allah will, if he will, if Mary conceived, and then Jesus was born. They call him Esau. And so it's like, okay, you're admitting that Jesus did not have an earthly father. That's right. What Allah will, if he will, if Mary conceived, and there's Jesus. So, well, if Jesus didn't have an earthly father, then who was his father? Well, it had to be God. This causes a problem for him because they say, no, Allah has no son. It's like, okay, but Jesus didn't have an earthly father, so he must have, his father must be God, and so Jesus has to be the son of God. It's an interesting question to bring up. But again, when you get into doctrinal issues, that's a whole mental realm, and they can have different comebacks. It's in the heart realm, and that Isaiah 61 and, and Jesus quoted it, that he came to heal the brokenhearted. And that's something that is does not exist, that concept does not exist in Islam. And so if you can share about how God cares about them personally and cares about their heart, that's something that allows the spirit to reach them in a way that doctrinal arguments can never do. Very good. One more uh, question, and uh, we'll end this. Had to do with President Obama. Some say he was a Christian. Others say he was a Muslim, kind of acting like a Christian. Your thoughts on that, my brother? Well, he went to a gay-affirming church. If someone wants to do their own research, they can see there's all kinds of strange sexual-type things that are said to have happened in that church. I think that he would be whatever it would take to get power. But he did immediately go over to our ally, who was a moderate Muslim in, uh, in Egypt, and uh, Mubarak. And uh, he disinvited Mubarak, publicly shaming him. And then he filled all the roads with the fundamentalist Muslim leaders. And then he helped orchestrate this uh, removal of Mubarak. And so... And then he sent money over to Kenya and these different countries in Africa to do what? To help with community organizing. Well, yeah, but you get into it, and it's community organizing to help the Muslim candidates get elected. So Obama definitely had an Islamic part of him that he wanted to promote that ideology. What every American needs to know about the Quran. This is really today certainly must-reading a history there of Islam and the United States. Bill Fetter has been our guest on Watchmen on the Wall. Bill, so much information available. Thank you so much for these last two days together. And thank you so much for your book, my brother. Well, thank you. And I do encourage the listeners to get the book. God bless you. God bless you, sir. What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran is a book by Bill Federer that you need. This book lays out 1,400 years of history. You'll be fascinated by this fast-paced history of the world from a perspective you never imagined. Current events come into focus in the backdrop of unbelievable yet true events. What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran by Bill Federer. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order this important book when you visit our website, swrc.com. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend, my friends, with the encouragement 
that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com.